when you argue, it introduces you into ethics. And ethics means that you're not going to try to coerce the other party, but you're going to try to persuade them with your arguments, with your reasoning. If let's say, for instance, COVID or gender, these arguments around that, if you try to eliminate other points of view because you don't want to address them, or you, and you say, well, it's been settled, but you have people who are experts in the field who have points of view who say, no, it's not settled. You try to eliminate them. That's a coercion. And so it keeps from the audience information they need to have in order to consider the action they're being asked to take. How much attention do you give to the art of persuasion? Hello, my friends. My name is Chad, and this is the Naked Leadership Podcast, High Stakes Conversations for Relentless Company Founders. My co-host and I have over six decades of combined experience in leadership coaching, and this podcast is where we explore it all. There's no conversation too risky. This week, Dan and I sit down to talk about the art of persuasion and the seven principles that guide persuasion. Now, why do you care? Why would any of us care about the art of persuasion? As a leader, our entire role is a negotiation for what we believe is gonna create success in our companies and with the people that we lead. That means you must be willing to argue for what you believe must be done to create that success. This conversation with Dan is all about how do we argue well? How do we argue well with each other and what principles do we abide by to make sure that we come to the best conclusions, not just the ones that we think are the best? There are some really powerful ideas in this conversation. I can't wait for you to hear. Let's dive in. Hey, Dan, how are you, man? I'm excellent, Chad. I'm, I'm missing um, the boss. He's not here today. I know. What are we going to do? This is going to be aimless and purposeless. I, I don't know who I am without him. <laughs> We're, of course, talking about Adrian. We're missing Adrian today. He's out there running around with some guys in the desert, playing some golf and doing a bunch of other shenanigans. And... um and we're going to miss him in this business development. I love that. I love right. that quote unquote. If you could see me right now, you would see quote unquote business development. Yeah, those greens are looking pretty green. That's right. Um, <laughs> a lot happens on those greens. Yeah, that's right. But hey, we uh, you know we had a really great week last week out there in uh, Puerto Rico with a team. We really did, and uh, implemented kind of did a, a hybrid of a training that you developed a long time ago yep. uh, with some structure around this idea of argumentation or what I'm calling the art of persuasion. I, I love it. And I think that's that's actually the end of the end, aim of argumentation. So I think that's much better than just the art of argumentation. And what the hell is leadership if not persuading people to a vision? And so uh, I, w I wanted to, this, that went over so well with the team that we were with and it, and so much fruit came out of it Yeah. and a light came off for me. And I was said, damn, we got to do this on the podcast. We got to talk about this. We're, we got to lay this foundation for what this topic and what these principles can be for a team and a leader. So that's what we're doing today. Um, and I want to dive in. You gave me a few principles that guide argumentation in a way that it can be something that is profitable for both parties, which is so crucial. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, but you send me these principles. I want to go through them one by one, oh, just yeah. in Let's this in this manner. If you're up for that that format, yeah, I'm. I'm literally been working on an ebook or you know or a book uh, around this, just because I I think it's so vital and relevant 
to us as individuals and as business leaders in today's, you know, in the culture. And the, the secular tailwinds are crying out for this discipline uh, for individuals to, to basically improve and break through in their lives. So I'd love to, let's go point by point. Let's have fun. Yeah, I think about that. I'm not going to remember the name right now, but there is an institute and they and they publish all of the, they call them debates, but they publish all of these arguments on YouTube. They're like two and a half hours long and they have an in-house crowd and they have an issue and the crowd votes on the issue, like where they stand. And then they have the debate and and then at the end of the debate, they t- they pull the audience again to find out where they current that where now they stand on the issue, and if they were if the argumentation was effective enough to persuade the audience to their side what to one side or the other. And I think there's not very many venues doing that right now. Um, not very many places people get the feedback so quickly on their persuasion. Well, if you, you know, in, it involves, in order to persuade somebody, it involves critical thinking. And argumentation is part of critical thinking. Look critically at a situation like business leaders. We're constantly looking at analyzing facts and situations and, and putting them together in a way that uh, we take the best, most efficient action to manifest the, the mission. And then on top of that, we have to align, you know, our job is to really align our teams, persuade them in a certain direction. And we the other thing is we want to perfect our reasoning because by chance we have some blind spot. A good argument will do that. A good argument will strengthen the reasoning, both of the leader and the team. And and that makes for a much more powerful synergistic, you know, relationship as they go forward. So yeah, it's vital. That's one thing I loved about my mind frame around this last offsite that we did with this team was that you opened up for me is argue well. A team argues well. And and so much of what teams do is try to avoid the argumentation. Yeah, well I, I work with you and I you argue well. I think we all have a you know, it's a natural ability, but you, you and Adrian are very good at argumentation. Huh? You know, you're you stay focused on what we're about. I I notice you if you get personal about it, you'll break off of that and come back to what you're here for, uh, which makes it a lot easier to be a team, right? To, to make a tough decision. And and we get bruised up a little bit along the way, but you know, you ought to get passionate about what you care about, right? I mean, the point is what's tying us together is we care about the same thing. We just have different ideas about how to accomplish it. Yeah. Yeah. So you say, uh, first principle, you say argumentation is a cooperative activity. What do you mean by that? Yeah, it, we tend to think in our culture, unfortunately, argumentation in the culture has taken on a, a you know a, a derogatory sense, right? Like, oh, I don't argue. We don't we don't want to argue. Have you ever heard that? We don't argue here, right? And and that's because generally people see argument as a cantankerous or you know contemptuous or attacking mode. They don't see it as a cooperative experience. And it's actually, in the classical sense, a cooperative experience. It's you and I, or two parties, could be groups of people, could be a person persuading a group, etc. 
looking to make the best decision they can about something they care about, and they have differing views about how they should execute policy or, or action of some sort, and it, it's a, a time to argue because either path can't be absolutely proven. So what we tend to do is, what, what, what argumentation is about is sharpening the reason, the reasoning for acting. And, and there are some simple disciplines that go into that. But the first one is we're cooperative. This is why we're together, right? And so if I'm getting together with you and you're willing to argue about something because we care about it, and, and when I say willing, I mean, this is a key point to decide whether you want to argue or not, is are you willing to be vulnerable? I mean, are you, and, and am I willing to be vulnerable? Vulnerable in the sense of I'm, if I'm going to argue with you, I'm willing to be persuaded by you about what you're reasoning, the claim you're making, and the reasons you're putting behind it. So I'm listening closely, and I'm and I'm willing to argue as if I'm my way is the way we ought to go. But I'm going to listen like I could be wrong. I could find what information can you give me that may perfect my reasoning because we're both committed to the outcome. We want to take care of something. And that's what I mean by cooperative, right? It's got to be that's what. That's why so much of what happens on social media, Facebook or whatever, this isn't true argumentation because, A, there's not an opening. There's not, there's not an open stance of, I'm here to examine my ideas. That's one. And we don't have a common goal. We're not working towards something that's worth the fight for us. So really it's just like, you know, just it's just war for not or or you're there i i know i put things on facebook on purpose to test my ideas and i state them in very mm, absolute ways to see what kind of reasoning i get back and i enjoy the banter and i've learned a lot by doing it but yes i hear what you mean and there are different types of argumentation right um one of you know, debate is an, is one which debate would be a can be one party asking question of many parties if you think of a you know, like the debates around the election where you have somebody interviewing the candidates and they answer questions. Another debate type of debate is two parties are arguing about something and an audience is listening. And argumentation could be, you can do it in articles, you can do it, but, but always with an audience in mind, right? So if you've, if you've ever read any of the uh, Federalist Papers, that was an argument in New York with, to, made to the group of voters in New York to talk about the purpose of government because they were they were going to vote about the pow, how centralized they want government to be and how decentralized you know how much do we protect the individual rights and, and what are the what are the boundaries so those guys though they they were arguing back and forth they were a series of articles and newspapers and so on they were designed to move an audience. So that with an argumentation always has an audience in mind, whether it's the person I'm, I'm talking to or the people that are listening to the argument. That's part of the context too, right? Your next principle is that it's, it's contextual. That's right. And the, audi the audience is part of that context. I, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and then that's a, you know, I, why I started doing this is because you and Adrian were asking me about what are you thinking tactically when you're out there in, in the room? And I, I grew up at a Jesuit high school and went to a Jesuit college. And 
debate and argumentation was part of a liberal arts education. In fact, the word rhetoric, which has gotten a bad rap, a completely inaccurate rap, just like argumentation, is vital. And that that what rhetoric is, is understanding the audience you're speaking to. Rhetoric always has the audience in mind. So understanding their interests, their pain, their, you know, during the, the you know, the debates with Frederick Douglass and, and uh, Abraham Lincoln, Douglass, there was a big, they were both arguing because they wanted, there was a, there was a commitment to abolish slavery. While people wanted to abolish it, they didn't want to do it immediately because of the, the social and, and the economic reasons. And Lincoln, both Lincoln and Douglas were trying to pit each other as extremists. Lincoln was trying to pit Douglas as an extremist who wanted to move slavery into every aspect of life. And Douglas was pitting um, Lincoln into a place that he wanted to just, you know, cause chaos and, and remove the what they've had too quickly where the economy and others couldn't deal with it, right? So, so there was this debate and Lincoln persuaded the audience and it was all around the Dred Scott division uh, decision and, and Lincoln obviously persuaded the audience towards what he was up to and they, that's where they changed the platform of the Civil War from a trade war to a moral war to eliminate slavery. So, you know, that, that's a great, a great debates to read by the way yeah so that audience in mind what else what else is do you keep in mind in context like context what what else is a factor in context well interests uh cultural tailwinds like what is the culture right and the other thing is another context part of the context is you're arguing because you cannot nope neither side can absolutely prove their point of view they both have evidence they both have but they can't prove exactly. It can't be without a doubt proven. So now argumentation is how we begin to perfect or strengthen our reasoning for acting on it. So we make claims and then we provide reasoning for the claims. And then the other party will begin to challenge those reasons and provide their reasoning for their claim. And that should, then that would illuminate, let's say I'm arguing with you, I make statements and claims and I provide reasoning. And then you begin to pick certain reasoning that's not complete or invalid, or maybe you've spotted a logical fallacy, those kinds of things, right? And, and, and then you provide that and that clues me into, oh, well, I better pay attention to that. And then I might be able to rebut that or, in, or agree with you and broaden my view of the situation. Yeah, yes. So that the, the your third principle is argumentation is about probabil- probability, not certainty, and that's that's what you're talking about. Is like there is the, it's probable that I'm right, or at least I think I'm. It's probable that I'm right, and or, or I'm arguing for the right thing, but it's not certain. And what's interesting to me is like you talked about you know the post that you make on Facebook where you present it as something that you're certain about but you're actually testing your knowledge. And I think that's interesting. Uh, like coming to an argument sounding certain or 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 coming from a perspective of being certain, but but internally being open. Well, you know, you, you think about it. If you if you don't like what provokes the response is the the 
kind of the certitude in the declaration. And then people provide reasoning. And then I'll come back with my reasons and I'll notice they'll either go to, they'll either get, you know, go deeper with me or they'll provide what, what's called a, a logical fallacy. They may, they may attack my character, right? And, and, th- and you notice when people go to ad hominem, with ad hominem uh, or they attack your character traits or like that instead of the argument, you, you know that they're done being in good faith. They've reached the end of their logic. There's like three basic distinctions in an argument. The first is rhetoric, where you're considering the audience and you're framing it and contextualizing what you're saying to appeal to the audience that you know is reading or is there listening. And then, you know, once you do that, then you've also got to be clued into logic, which are the structures of meaning that the audience is using. And to address those structures of meaning in a way that they can connect with you and then you can add what you have to say about it, right? That's a vital point because, you know, if you think about some of the circumstances that have come up in our culture around COVID, around, uh, you know, uh, gender, those kinds of things, mainstream media, well, one of the things that they talk about, one of the things that I've, you know, we were taught is when you argue, it introduces you into ethics. And ethics means that you're not going to try to coerce the other party, but you're going to try to persuade them with your arguments, with your reasoning. And if, 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 if let's say, for instance, COVID or gender, these arguments around that, if you try to eliminate other points of view because you don't want to address them or you, and you say, well, it's been settled, but you have people who are experts in the field who have points of view who say, no, it's not settled. You try to eliminate them. That's a coercion, right? And so it, because it, it, it keeps from the audience information they need to have in order to consider the action they're being asked to take. And it's, it's a, it's a, and so understanding that premise yeah, you know, it's, and it's an indication of the of your own security of your of your position. Yeah, if you don't want other, if you don't want people to hear the opposing, that to me, you know, when we th- put this in the category of leadership or company, but like business, corporate leadership, if you're not willing to get as many ideas on the table because you need to be the one that's right, or you make up there's things about speed or you know all of that sort of stuff, that is an insecurity in your own stand in your own position in the argumentation. Life is not fair. It's what you negotiate. Let me say that one more time. Life is not fair. It's what you negotiate. Now that's an interesting thought. If that's true, it means that everything you have in life right now, the possessions, the relationships, the fitness, the mindset are all a product of your negotiations with others and yourself. And if that's true, Wouldn't you want to be very clear on how you negotiate what's effective and what's ineffective, what your strengths are and what your blind spots are? It is, after all, producing all the results in your life. So here's the deal. We put together a 15-question quiz that you can take in five minutes or less and find out exactly what your negotiation style is. The results of this quiz will give you insight into your strengths and blind spots in negotiation. It will also give you insight in how you can accentuate those strengths 
or compensate for the blind spots. Think for just one second with me all of the conversations you're having in your life. Think about compensation or advancement conversations with people on your team, discussing financial decisions with a partner, or just getting your kids to get their damn shoes on so that you can leave the house. All of these conversations are negotiations. This simple yet powerful tool has the potential to reinvent the way you get what you want in every aspect of life. Go to negotiation.takenewground.com right now or click the link in the description of this episode and find out what negotiation style you embody. You can thank us later. Now back to the show. You're trying to persuade an audience. If you shut down and try to use ad hominem to to attack the other party's character, you've actually skewed the argument and you're cowardly. You know, and like another, you know, like another fallacy, logical fallacy is a straw man. You misrepresent the the other party's argument to make it easier to attack. You create something out of it that they didn't mean, but you could derive from it some extreme case, and then you slay that. And and so understanding these, like there's there's like I I, I know of about ten or I think twelve different you know, fallacies that can be listened for. And if you can hear them, then you can listen and then you can you can exercise the third aspect of argumentation. So we had rhetoric, logic, and the third is dialectic. And unfortunately, most people don't know what that means. It just means a series of questions to test reasoning. Um, but it's been translated into some political stance because you know, they, people think of Hegelian dialectic, which just means a polemic, a polemical relationship, which is part of philosophical reasoning, but it's not the whole of dialectic. Dialectic is like what Socrates did, or you know, Plato describes with Socrates asking questions to understand the basis of, uh, you know, the the first principles that somebody's arguing from. So if somebody makes a, a you know makes a a logical fallacy. It's good to be able to hear it, not react to it, and then ask questions that exposes the fallacy in the logic. Yeah, you want to really, if anybody listening to this wants a really great example of a lot of these fallacies, I would say first, look up logical fallacies, see a list, get a list together, then Google Douglas Murray and Malcolm Gladwell debate on mainstream media, and just listen to particularly Malcolm Gladwell. And when his when he senses in when he feels insecurity about his his argument, where does he go? Oh, I and he displays six, four or five of them. I, ca- I counted six logical fallacies watching that that he was using, and Murray was masterful at undermining. I, it was like, and I like I like both guys. I love them both, um, but man, I, our boy Malcolm could have used some work on how he argues. That's not sure. That's right. That's right. Talk to me about ethos. An, another principle, fourth principle: ethos, pathos, and logos. Yeah. Ethos, credibility, pathos, emotional appeal, and logos. You've talked about this al- already a little bit. Yep. Logical reasoning. Yeah. So ethos is your personal context or culture, what you bring to the party, and how others like. It's good to know how others perceive you. So you know what the 
your ethos is causing in them, you can address it. So you, you, you want to be able to know yourself, and in, meaning you can't know yourself unless you know how you manage your impact with other people. And if I'm aware of how I, my, let's say, certitude about my point of view is impacting another person, then I can shift. And, you know, on this weekend we just did, um, and we got in the arg- I got in an argument with a new employee, one of the new execs on the team, and I was really certain about what I was thinking, and she was beautiful because she addressed my ethos. She said, I don't feel listened to. I feel like you're just steamrolling me. And she was right. I, I, when she told me, I asked her to tell me more, and she, when she told me, I went, oh, yeah, I can see how you feel that. I, you know, forgive me, and, and I shifted. And that opened up a whole lot. But her, she was addressing my ethos. And once I saw that, I could shift my ethos, which which then created some pathos. <laughs> so like, I, I some relationship that I could then work with, some credibility I could work with to open up, you know, um, I could open up a, you know, a connection where we could look together shoulder to shoulder. That's the big thing. Yeah, an emotional appeal. Yeah. Something that, yeah, yeah that she, you shared. She would, she felt more, well, like she, she remember she said, I feel like just leaving. I thought, oh, shit. So and by the end of that conversation, she was emotionally connected again, and we could then apply more logic to the reasoning. So audience adaptation is key is another one. You've talked a bit about this already. Is there anything, I mean, one of the one of the things that I notice often is for leaders to have an aim in mind. There's something they're trying to roll out to their teams yeah. or get their teams on board for, and they miss seeing the people that they're persuading because they're so focused on what they want yeah. that they miss the audience that's in front of them. Yeah, you're so... Yeah, you, 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 you're so... And that comes from, if you think about it, they're missing it because they assume something about the audience that causes a blindness. Like, I hired these guys, they ought to be here to do what I tell them, and I'm not even considering how what I'm going to be presenting to them impacts them personally and how that relates to their participation in accomplishing the mission. And, well, I just kidding. I think it's such a great idea that, of course, they're going to love it. And I'm the boss. So they're I'm paying them, aren't I? That's right. <laughs> so they should follow. That's usually something like that that causes that blindness. So talk about them being constructed socially. Um, I mean, this seems like a duh, but it's worth putting like putting some words behind. Why do we care? Why do we need to know that arguments are constructed socially? Well, because there there are social. You know, when you get involved in any environment socially, you're doing it for a reason. You have something. You have a job you're trying to get done. That's why you're being social. A job mean it could be connection, could be innovation could be get you know like get ideas that kind of thing could be a business transaction could be a business transaction so understanding socially where i stand what's going on what's important what the general flow of the the drift of that social environment is well all will help me um appeal to the people that are there and it'll help me listen to who's there because I may assume certain people are there for certain reasons, but if I socially connect with them, I might dis- discover they're there for 
a completely different reason I hadn't considered, which may shift the frame of my argument. This is this is so apparent to me as I go to um, networking events with other business owners and to observe people who have overestimated their influence oh man in the in the setting i've done that and how how disconnected they they come off yeah as they move around the room and understanding your context within the social context that you're in and that's how you make your argument because even a beg for somebody's time at one of these events is an argument it's a it's a persuasion right you must present a reason for their t- for their time and attention in a meaningful way if you if you're in these in these settings and so many people overestimate their influence or overestimate their importance in this context so you want to get a good example of this Ju- there's a gosh it was i think it was uh heritage the heritage foundation put out uh, a video about why you know, uh, why Kevin Roberts was going to the World Economic Forum in Davos Davos, to speak. And he was asked to come speak to help the World Economic Forum improve their brand because they realized they had lost trust with, with the average American. And they were asking this, this guy to come talk to him. And here's what he said. And it, it was so powerful because he was addressing how out of touch they were, they are, with the average guy in the street, the average American. He said, they, so they said, why are you going? And his is his response. The infamous hypocritical self-avowed Marxists, private jet environmentalists, and genocide-adjacent humanitarians want to hear from the Heritage Foundation how they can, quote, rebuild trust with everyday Americans against whom they have weaponized their institutions. He actually said that. To them in, in you know in the uh, in the meeting, and he gave re- if you want to establish trust, it was very interesting because as I listened to the debate, what he was talking about as trust wasn't what they were talking. Their idea of trust. So here's a social norm. Their idea of trust was like a trust where people put their well-being into a trust. And they are trustees who manage that. And Roberts was talking about, do we trust you? And and they were like, no, we are a trust. And we're going to reestablish that so people get it. They're not even concerned with what Roberts was talking about. And I I, I just watched as they talked past each other. And I was like, wow, man, if you don't think argumentation is relevant now we're headed right into war, and th- and this is when war happens, right? When when very powerful people in institutions aren't listening to people and talking right past each other because they've decided what they're going to do already, and there's going to be coercion, not persuasion. Yeah, like two ships in the night. Yeah, that's how you can say, oh, this is probably going to escalate to it. People want to get on the same page. So... um Number seven, you've talked about rhetoric already a little bit, but I want to dive into it. Number seven, you said rhetoric is a tool for managing disagreement. And help me understand applicably rhetoric. What I mean, you've talked about the principle. Then if I'm in an argumentation or if I'm in an argument with you 
and I'm looking to persuade you towards something, how do I utilize the principle of rhetoric um, to manage our disagreement? Well, first off, you, it's got to be rational. In other words, I've got to use my rationality to appeal to what's important to you, to your interests. If I don't, there is no argument. There's just, you know, so that's one. It's got to be ethical, which means I'm legitimately willing to be persuaded by you. Now, I don't know if you've watched any of the debates between Jordan Peterson and um, uh, what's his name? He's really smart. The neuroscientist. Um, oh, Sam Harris? Yes, yeah, Sam Harris. And you can see both of them are rational towards each other, and they hear each other's arguments. And they're ethical. In other words, they're not trying to coerce the other person, but they're really trying to understand the other person so they can identify where they disagree and present their claims with reasoning and go back and forth. And they've made progress as they've gone along. And and that's that and that that's also a social practice. It's saying I actually respect your your freedom to have your own perspective and that we both care about what we're talking about and its implications to the larger community. And yet we have differing views and we're both passionate about our views. And you'll see they both get passionate, but they don't tend to go to, I, I watched them, I, I, I didn't see a lot of rancor or ad hominem. You know, there are, there's some logical fallacies that tend to come up with it. They seem to navigate them well. But if you think about it, they're having a public discourse and they're doing it in a way that demonstrates what a good argument is because it, it it persuades the listeners they're speaking to. And and it's a big deal. People are, you know, they get millions of views because people care about what they're talking about. I had this interesting experience over this past week where, where I'm hunting down a venue for The Revenant in L.A. coming up um, in April. And uh, we're experimenting a little bit with the with the with the venues just to see what's possible and see what else we can create. Yeah. Typically, we've done these in hotel ballrooms. It's awesome. And what else could we, you know, you've done a lot of this experimentation on your own, you know, in the past. But um, so I was negotiating or, or I was looking at this venue and uh, I noticed very early on that there were some things missing in her communication. The gal you were negotiating with? The person, yes, the person that was is managing the venue, and mainly she would promise things and then not come through, and I would I would hear nothing from her, and and so I you know wanting uh, wanting to make sure that we set this relationship up in a really powerful way, I just said, hey, look, can we have a conversation about your communication? This won't work for me, and and so we got on the phone. And I explained to her my position. I said, "Look, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to persuade you to be any any different way. I just want to have clear expectations before we sign this contract. And I bring 40 people in from all over the world for a training. I want to make sure we are clear on how we communicate. And and I was working to persuade her, or or at least locate her as to how this thing was going to be going down the road. And she came back with reasoning that was so uh, out of touch with what I was looking for or what what was going to help me feel like we could have a, a meaningful relationship. You know, her her reasoning was 
they're a small team. They're three people. And I said, well, that's great. Good. We can relate because we're a small team too of four people. So fantastic. Keep going. What's, yeah, let's, let's hear it. And uh, anyway, and, and she said, you know, we don't do this. We don't rent this place out full time. It's, it's mostly for our own work, but we really like you guys. So we're willing to do you a favor. Oh, <laughs> And it was it was great, you know, and this our conversation with this team really primed me for this conversation because I was going I wanted to hear her arguments. I wanted to hear where she was coming from in what was missing for me in her communication. And she was never I couldn't persuade her that we could create a new way of of communicating. She just wasn't willing to go there. And so we cut it off, cut it off. And it's unfortunate. It was a really cool venue. I just said this isn't going to work for us. We'll, you know, appreciate your time, appreciate you willing to have these conversations with me, but it's just not going to work. What did and she say to you after you told her that? She said, "Okay." Oh yeah. So she was, she didn't really didn't want to have the outcome. No, no, she wasn't committed to the outcome, which was really helpful for me too, right? Absolutely. Because no bad if she's on not her. committed to that outcome, would've we're not bad, the right partners. Would have been bad on you if you went ahead blindly, which we often have done. All of yes. us, we've all made those mistakes. So, yeah, that's that's really because you can see the future that's attached to that one. Oh, I saw it. <laughs> that's, that's a social thing. I mean, when you talk about socially, you're seeing how this person, what their expectations are and their interests, and how that's going to play out socially. It's not going to work for us. Yes. Right? So That's right. That's right. This is powerful. Anything you want to close with around argumentation and the art of persuasion? Know yourself. Know thyself, right? And the only way I can know myself is to be in touch with how others perceive me when I'm negotiating or persuading or arguing with them. And it's easy to get locked into your head and your own experience and miss where everybody else is, how are they connected or disconnected to you so that you're not just talking past them. So that, that's the biggest thing I would say in conclusion. It is a big thing. I mean, that's a journey of learning yourself. Yeah. Thanks, brother. I appreciate this. This is this is phenomenal. I'm really excited about this framework and the way that we're taking it out in the world. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. As a heads up, every Friday we post a Cliff Notes version of that week's conversation with all the highlights in under five minutes. Check that out for a quick and powerful reminder of the principles discussed. I hope this conversation has been valuable to you. If it has, the greatest compliment you could pay us is sharing it with somebody who could use it. Thanks so much for listening. And until next week, bye-bye, everybody.